0: Welcome to the staying free podcast in this episode i spoke with andrew howard normally i would have more to say in these intros because i generally do the editing for the episode before i do the intro to kind of remind myself of the conversation but in this case i'm recording the intro before doing the editing because i don't know the next time that i'll get a good place to record the intro so i can't actually speak so much about what's in the episode i know we talk a lot of stuff about bitcoin and kind of geopolitical game theory and a bunch of other good stuff so i'll leave that to the conversation itself but in terms of me knowing Andrew, we met last year after connecting on Twitter because we were both living in Mexico. So it was good to meet another bit kind of living in Mexico. So Andrew's actually someone that I met in real life before um, doing an interview with him, which is unusual for this podcast. But after meeting him initially, I knew that I wanted to bring him on the pod at some point because he just has a really good understanding of libertarian philosophy and a lot of interesting ideas. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do enjoy it, please share it on Twitter. And also, this is something I always fail to mention in the intros, is please give the podcast a five-star review if you're enjoying it. It'd be really appreciated if you can do that. All right, on to the episode. Andrew, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Johnny. It's... uh. Nice to be here talking about freedom and uh, Bitcoin and all the stuff happening in the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, this feels like round two to me after coming on your podcast uh, yesterday. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of getting into some new topics as well. So I obviously know you from meeting you in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. So I know a little bit about your history and it's super interesting. So uh, why don't you give a little introduction of how you got to Mexico, first of all?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, I was living in Los Angeles before I moved to Mexico. And, uh, you know, I'd been interested in Bitcoin for a while since like 2017. So, you know, with that comes, of course, like, looking into how the markets work, why these boom bust cycles occur, which once you study the Austrian school of thought, you learn that they occur because it basically because of manipulation of interest rates and central banking and at least they they exacerbate those cycles. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of like libertarian Bitcoiner sound money type people were expecting some sort of a, a crash around that time, you know um and when covid happened when the I, I should say when the pandemic happened more accurately speaking uh for just being honest here um i really got this feeling like okay this this is there's something happening here uh this has to be it you know and then and then the stocks fell uh, in the united states like 30 you know stocks in the united states wiped out the past 3 years of gains in a matter of 3 weeks Uh, so the markets crashed and, uh, you know, I had family in Mexico at the time and I had already visited Mexico and, uh, I had been to a conference in Mexico called Anarchapulco, which is basically, you know, just a, a freedom conference, uh, you know, in, in Mexico. So I had exposure to Mexico, uh, this whole, you know, COVID crash was happening. I was in LA, which is, uh, you know, just, the worst place to be in my, you know, LA, New York, like, you don't want to be in a city right now. So I thought, you know what, I'm young. Uh, I certainly don't want to be in Los Angeles right now at this period of human history. Uh, I want to go live in Mexico. And uh, so I threw everything in my car. And, um, you know, I drove from Los Angeles to Mexico. I mean, that was just a crazy experience in general, just driving across Mexico, you know, I was like, 2023 at the time um you know it's a long drive it's like almost 2,000 kilometers so uh but yeah i've been in mexico for the last two years um i (laughs) i i'm very happy to be working in the bitcoin space uh for many reasons i mean i i talk with bitcoiners all the time and I, i really care about this thing and i also get to work online and be wherever i want which you know provides uh, a really really interesting lifestyle opportunity. I, I get to travel a lot. Um, you know, I've been to El Salvador and go to a bunch of Bitcoin conferences. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how I ended up in Mexico. My ultimate pursuit is just freedom. So wherever I can find the most freedom and the most amount of people who believe in freedom, that's where I want to be.
0: Man, there's so many things that I want to pick up on there. So I'm trying to kind of remember them all. But let me just rewind a, a minute to when you were actually leaving California. So, what was the defining moment for you that you decided that you wanted or needed to leave California? It's a really good question. Um, hmm.
1: I think the defining moment was so I was actually in uh, vacation in Mexico in March like March 2020 right when all this covid stuff was happen, happening and uh you know I, I i saw people getting their businesses shut down and um you know just the world changing and you know everybody putting on these masks and um i think a you know under the libertarian austrian economic uh you know bitcoiner uh gold blood that that school of thought we're very correct in a monetary policy sense like we we understand how the fed works we understand how central banking is a, is a, is a stam and all that but you know we i think we think there's going to be this doomsday sort of scenario you could say like where the us dollar crashes like 50% and everybody's just like oh my god you know there's panic in the streets and um i think we're definitely going to have a lot of panic for sure absolutely because of the monetary situation um, but I, I didn't know at the time when that would be. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know what exactly it's gonna look like. But uh what kind of kicked my motivation off for getting out of LA was just looking around and thinking like, okay, this is such a such an inherently flawed kind of place to live way of life. Like the food is shipped from so far away. Um you know the i i just i don't like living in like a concrete grid sort of a thing if that makes sense like i don't i don't get that that feeling as much in mexico i i feel like i'm a little more in nature a little more in the earth i'm not in this big like concrete electrical wires everywhere all that um and i mean i've just seen the place deteriorate so much like homelessness in los angeles is absolutely insane and all of their policies do nothing but expand the size of government in that area and completely destroy uh you know like people who actually want to be in a small business or something like that so um just seeing a general deterioration of the place and thinking like wow Mexico it's 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 insanely cheap like I you know you can live You can rent a, you know, nice place for 500 bucks. Uh, the food is way less. Like I I was telling you earlier, I buy raw milk. I buy a gallon of raw milk for $3. (laughs) So, you know, there, there are a lot of enticing reasons to live in Mexico and just looking around seeing Los Angeles the way it was. Um, I figured why not? I may as well just check out a, a different part of
0: the earth. Yeah, man. So, you know, like from, from what I know of you, um, like you are very, very quintessentially kind of plug material, right like you uh you know you've moved country, you're a bitcoin maximalist, you drink raw milk, you're into that whole you know kind of lifestyle, but I'm interested to know before that when did you actually become a bitcoiner were you a Bitcoiner before you left California? Was it after because if it's a recent thing, then you've definitely gone down that rabbit hole and embraced that lifestyle super fast,
1: yeah, um. <laughs> So as far as being a Bitcoin maxi, I didn't really become a Bitcoin maxi until, you know, when I moved to Mexico, basically. Um, I had been, I mean, I got into Bitcoin in 2017. So i you know, been interested in it since 2017. And uh, that was really all I've owned. I mean, I, I did have a little diversification, <laughs> quote, diversification in shit coins. Like I
0: had... I don't know. Don't name them. Don't name them.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. I shouldn't even name them. That's right. I shouldn't give them the... yeah, right. Um, yeah, I I had some exposure exposure to shit coins, but um, I mean, a, a lot of that was just getting on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I can't believe that I have spent the majority of my time in Bitcoin not on Twitter because the community there and the amount of ideas that are shared on that platform and the amount of knowledge that you can gain uh, just on Twitter is, is really amazing. And um, like, I would have had a much bigger stack right now if I, if I was on Twitter, I really, I mean, it's such a good thing to see so many people all around the world um, all team Bitcoin you know, and and that's a huge part of, I mean, that is what money is, is uh, in order for something to be money, there must be a network of people who value it. And Bitcoin has the strongest network of people that value it. Um, there's no community that, you know, in crypto, quote, crypto, that's more powerful uh, than Bitcoin for so many different reasons. You have so many different kinds of people in Bitcoin. You have politicians, you have corporations um you have everyday plebs like you and i like just all these different kinds of people and all these different facets of life um and they're all on the same team and uh you know if, if you're if you're in crypto right there are, there are what seventeen thousand cryptos now sixteen thousand, something like it's that It's
0: hard to keep up i mean it's just it's infinite essentially
1: yeah so if you're in crypto you're you're against people who are also in crypto you know it's entirely different than uh than bitcoin
0: yeah so you were 23 when you actually decided to leave that seems um kind of young to make a really bold decision like that actually you know I, I would expect that that's the kind of decision that would require a lot more years of life experience so i guess my next question would be like what primed you for that obviously bitcoin has shaped a part of that journey for you, because I do think that Bitcoin naturally has the propensity to change people and to change people's action through kind of experiencing it and and using it and learning about the f- philosophy of it and, um, you know, becoming more self-sovereign, etc. But for you, was there something that in your past that kind of primed you for at 23 years old, being willing to, you know, jump in your car and cross borders with all of your belongings?
1: Yeah, um, I think a lot of us, Uh, A lot of Bitcoiners have felt this same way growing up, but growing up, I always had the idea, like, I I don't want to just be doing what everybody is doing. I don't like, I I mean, I I just remember having this thought so much in school that, okay, I'm going to be here in this school for, you know, how many years? 13 years, very unlucky number, by the way, 13 years of schooling. And then after that, uh, I'm supposed to just, get a job and buy a house and work uh, for basically the majority of my life and have a family and then retire when I'm old as heck and, and then die. <laughs> like that, that sounds so boring to me. And uh, nobody, like I, I think a lot of people today don't have passion in what they do. They just, they sacrifice their passion. They sacrifice what, what makes them feel like they're, you know, they're really contributing to the world for a paycheck. And I think everybody in some way has to do that. I mean, I, I, I've worked in jobs that I I don't like now. I, I, you know, I love what I do, but um, you know, I, I just uh, I want, I, I've always wanted to live a life that is not always easy or not always fun or happy all the time, but something that is meaningful. And I think that is a huge problem that we have today in society is that we are, are constantly told that we're just supposed to be happy. Like, you know, if you're not happy, something's wrong. I totally disagree with that. I think happiness is an emotion. Emotions come and go and uh this pursuit of happiness of you know just feeling good all the time is not always the best thing and it's not going to give you the most fulfillment in life
0: so what is the thing what is the thing then that you um pursue if it, if not happiness
1: well for me it's meaning i mean and more specifically i i feel the most meaning in my life when i am doing the best i can to further enable human freedom on earth. And I'm, I'm, it's just me, right? Like there's a really good uh, quote from mother Teresa. She says uh, small things done with great love are what change the world. And I totally agree. No one person is ever going to change. I mean, I, I I believe in Jesus Christ. I, I think he's the only, like, I believe he is God. So he's the exception, but like no one person is just going to completely change the entire world and make everything better. It it it's it's really just a uh, you know small actions every single day by every single person that make things better.
0: On that point, you know, I actually think that there's a really really strong link between what you were mentioning there about freedom and about meaning, because this is what I think a lot of people who don't value freedom uh, um, don't understand. And obviously, you know, in the Bitcoin community, I think we. We generally understand this because it's very hard to be a Bitcoiner and not value freedom. Like it's kind of part and parcel of this thing that we're interacting with. But people who don't value freedom um, quite often, I think, are unable to find true meaning. Because if you fail to recognize freedom as being a, something of the highest pursuit, you can never find meaning because your options, you don't have the full range of options available to you. And if you don't have the full range of options available to you in life, you can never truly find um, purpose, I don't think. And it's, it's really hard to try and kind of um, put this into words, but essentially I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is that I think there's a really close relationship between freedom and meaning, because when you are given the opportunity to, um, to kind of live your higher self, which I think is impossible, Without freedom, then you'll fail to find meaning. So, it, you know, people who put their um, faith in governments and institutions to kind of provide them with some kind of framework within which they can live by. And they say, OK, well, I won't exit these boundaries. You know, I'll do whatever's told of me. You know, I, I was talking to one of my podcasts um, in one of my previous episodes, and he was basically saying that, for instance, a lot of people um, think that they're being granted freedom by saying, oh, well, I've taken the vaccine and I've got my um, my vaccine um card right i've got my um i've got my vaccine pass and that grants me freedom and what he was saying was well actually you've surrendered your freedom because it's the people who who are unwilling to put a price on their freedom or put a condition on their freedom who are actually truly free and i think this kind of speaks to the point that you're getting at is that without actually experiencing true freedom um you can't have true meaning because like you don't really know what you are do do you see where i'm going with that
1: I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that, um, you know, if there's no freedom, there is no morality because by definition, I mean, totalitarianism is a, a violation of another person's freedom. It's, it's in, and, and what that is, is like, what is freedom, right? Freedom is what you have when no one is forcing their will upon you. That's, that's what freedom is a right, like a right. Everybody talks about rights a right is an you know any action that does no harm to another and i think you know in that regard you know me personally i really believe god is found in freedom i believe freedom is is you know that is morality if you don't believe in freedom you believe in what what's the opposite you know coercion uh totalitarianism you know like that's a that's a violation of natural law of god's law of the golden rule Whatever you want to call it, it's freedom. So yeah, I totally agree. And you see that in the crowd that uh, you know today. I mean, in 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 our age groups, uh, you know, the the social justice warrior type crowd, if you want to call it that. I mean, the Marxists—they're—they're they're not. I, I really don't see them as happy people. I don't see them as. I mean, again, I talked about the word happiness. I don't see them as fulfilled people. I, I, I don't know. I I just I think that if you don't believe in freedom, I I just I don't get the personality behind that. Like, how could you not believe in freedom? And it it has to be a matter of morality. I mean, it has to it's different, you know, they they believe uh what's right and wrong is different than what we believe is right and wrong. And a lot of problems can come from that in society if not everybody you know has the same moral standard.
0: Well, I think a lot of the the talk of the day on the other side of the fence is well um you know your essentially your freedom is in contradiction to my safety, right? So people believe that it's your responsibility to keep them safe. And actually I think this fundamental idea is at the root of a lot of things not not just with, you know, like covid and everything like that, but just with a lot of kind of um I, I guess far left, but not even necessarily far left. Just somewhat socialist, somewhat left-leaning uh, thinking is at the root of it. Is that you should have your freedoms um, limited on the basis of other people's safety? And I think there's a reasonable there's a reasonable discussion to be had there. But where I think this kind of contradiction comes in, in terms of like finding meaning, is if you you know, for instance, like you're you're probably familiar with stoicism, right?
1: I really haven't looked that much into stoicism and I I know what it is. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the fundamental idea of stoicism is kind of, you know, only concerning yourselves, which you have the capability to change and things that you don't have the capabilities of changing them, you accept them. That's, that's kind of a, a very simplified version of, you know, um, if I could just try and put it in a sentence, that's kind of how I, how I would term it. But essentially if you're someone who believes in taking away people's freedom, you know, for a kind of greater good, um, what you do is you, you take more out of people's ability to control their own lives. And I think that, that kind of breeds um, difficulty because you, as you take more and more control away from people, especially when people have difficulty in accepting it. Right. So like if you've got someone in prison, a lot of the time they'll go into prison and initially they're like, you know, they, they, they really fight against that. But then over time, they accept they're in prison, they accept they can't change it, and they become more happy as a result. And people can be just as happy in prison as out of it, right? When that comes to a wider society, you know, the more that you take people's freedom away, and people generally don't want that freedom taken away, right? People, people like, generally, are like, our predisposition as humans is we want freedom. Like, it, it's natural to me to expect that you're going to be less happy with less with, with fewer freedoms, even though you might be more safe. Because I don't think that the human psyche values or... Um, kind of yearns for safety anywhere near as much as it yearns for freedom. I think the freedom is the kind of foundation, foundational principle and safety is kind of should be still built upon that pillar. Whereas I think that a lot of the kind of left leaning people, they would put safety as the foundational principle and then say, okay, once safety is guaranteed, then we can start talking about freedom, which is kind of in my view, and I, I'd imagine maybe in, in your view as well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, is, is the opposite way around. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, you know, one thing that comes to mind, uh, I, I hope you see how this is related is just apathy because you know, you and I, we, we care about this stuff. Uh, we're willing to travel, you know, and be in areas that, that will, you know, allow you to be more free. We we really care about this stuff, but so many people, uh, they, they just don't care. Um, they just don't care. You know? I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people, they, they, I don't really know what it is. I mean, it, I don't know if it's I, comfort uh or or what, but I just think that's such a big problem especially with the last 2 years. I mean, we are we're, we're living in a clown world today. I mean, we're they're saying that you have to have four injections now. The CEO of Pfizer is saying you have to have four injections. Um you know, we have uh it, just so much freedom that's been taken away over the last two years. And I understand that right now the COVID narrative is, you know, definitely dying. And I think a lot of normie type people are seeing that it was kind of BS, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, and maybe I just feel that way because, uh, I'm in Latin America and I, I think it's, you know, each culture is a little bit different, right? The culture in Latin America is more so like, uh, Um, you know, go to the path of least resistance. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, ultimately, like, at least caring enough, I mean, I'll say this, people on the left, one thing I do appreciate about people on the left, some people on the left is that they care enough to at least be passionate about something, you know, I mean, at least you can maybe take that passion and redirect their anger from like corporations to governments and and they see what we're saying, but apathy is really just the biggest uh enemy, I think. And one last thing to cap it off. I know it's a little bit random there, but uh this idea of apathy and and you know, caring, like I, I really do think that there's something to this idea of caring, like really caring about things, like giving a shit about something, you know, a lot of people don't have that. And um, I don't know if you, are you familiar with the cremation of care? No. Uh, Bohemian Grove, you're not? Okay, okay. So the, there's there's literally this, this thing called the cremation of care. And this is going to sound, uh, you know, it's a bit out there, but bear with me here. So uh, there is this thing called Bohemian Grove in California it's like in the middle of nowhere in the forest in California northern California and every single year a bunch of very notable powerful people go there and congregate and have this festival um and you've had like you know former presidents current presidents uh people from the federal reserve CEOs of big corporations, uh, like Reagan went there and Nixon went there. The Bush family went there. Anyways, all these people and uh, they do this sacrifice. (laughs) There's video evidence of this. Uh, They have this huge uh, thing. uh, It's basically this huge owl. uh, And it's this, you know, another name for it is Molech. It's, It's like basically this creepy satanic thing they do. They light it on fire. They do they do this mock sacrifice and they call it the cremation of care, and I find it very interesting. The reason I'm saying that is because they are trying to kill caring, <laughs> and what do they want us to to do today? They don't want the men to care. They want you know they don't want people to care enough to resist what they are forcing on us. They want a population that's apathetic, and largely they're getting that. So. I hope some of that, you know, kind of ties in and and makes sense, you know.
0: Yeah, I do remember watching this uh, Bohemian Grove documentary by Alex Jones. Maybe I need to refresh myself on that because I remember I watched this thing years ago, and it was just so crazy. But I was like, oh well, you know, was I young and impressionable and didn't really kind of quite understand what I was watching? But like, I think if I watch that again, I'd be like, oh yeah, it, that that was just some crazy stuff that actually maybe still happens. I don't know.
1: No, it it definitely does. I'm from like, I'm from California. I have, you know, you know, family who has business in Northern California, all that, like people outside of that area of Bohemian Grove, they all, I mean, they all kind of know something weird happens there every single year. It's not, you know, um,
0: weird, weird. Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) definitely.
0: Anyway, man, I'm going to steer this in a totally different direction because sure. you mentioned earlier that you've been to El Salvador. I didn't know you'd actually you'd actually gone. So, I'm I'm literally going there in like uh just over a week. So, uh what's it like? Tell me what's going on.
1: Yeah, so uh how how long are you going to be there for? Uh
0: I haven't decided yet. At least a week, maybe two. Okay. All right. Two two weeks uh two is one,
1: one is none. Two weeks is I would recommend two weeks. Uh, I was there for about a week. I went there for um, the Adopting Bitcoin conference back in November, and uh, you know, so I'll preface my statement with saying that uh, I, I was in, you know, San Salvador. I was in, you know, I, I didn't really see a whole lot of the country. I went to Bitcoin Beach as well, El Zante, um, and I was largely at the conference. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, I don't know. I mean, some, some things that initially come to mind is it's extremely impressive to see how quickly decisions can be made with their government. Like it's only a country of six and a half million people. And, you know, with that comes a more localized form of government, which, uh, could be a good thing, you know? Um, I mean, I, I met the, I, I met like government officials like high up government officials in el salvador and uh they're you know nice people and i met one of them at a, at a restaurant actually uh um
0: did you meet bukele
1: i did not meet bukele i that really would have been cool that to would meet cool, that guy yeah. i would love to someday yeah but uh you know i mean i i and i'm an anarchist <laughs> <laughs> like, mind you, I literally I think government is bullshit. I don't think any human being has authority over another human being. You know, we all have like the same amount of rights as, as everybody else. Right. Um, but but that being said, I mean, we're moving toward that direction of, OK, instead of having this this huge you know monolithic government like you know like this one world government or the eu or the united states federal government like this big thing let's have more localized government at least let's let's you know go smaller and smaller and smaller governments that are more local um and i think el salvador is really going in that direction so uh i'm i'm very optimistic about the country i had some really good experiences
0: there nice so you mentioned that obviously they have been able to do this because it's a much smaller government, which I agree with. Like, I think that the big, it's not necessarily just that the bigger governments, um, are more, are basically less capable, um, because of the kind of bureaucratic processes involved. But also, I just think that the, the bigger governments and the kind of ones that are more established and have large fiat currencies, et cetera. I mean, in El Salvador's case, I don't even think they had their own currency, did they? It was just the U S dollar. Yep. So like, it, they were an obvious choice to go down this path. But where, where do you see this going? Because I think that, in my, in my view, it's going to take a long time before the bigger governments get on board. But do you see more countries adopting Bitcoin? Do you see them putting it on their balance sheet? Do you think something's going to come up at the, at the Bitcoin conference uh, like in a few weeks? Whenever it is, I think it's a few weeks away. Like, do you think there'll be another yeah. another announcement? April 6th
1: is when it starts, yeah. Um, dang, I wish you were going. Would have been cool to see you there. Uh um, well I'm
0: unvaccinated. They don't allow me in there now. <laughs> <sighs> oh
1: my God. Yeah, that's just oh my God. God help us. Um <laughs> yeah. So basically the question is like, where do I where do I see this going? And uh bitter countries and uh Mexico, I, I think that <sighs> here's the thing. Uh Mexico's can be kind of a small world, you know. Um and I, I've definitely met, I've I've met some very well-connected people in Mexico that that uh, have spoken very highly of Bitcoin being adopted at some point. Right? Here's the thing. I mean, here's here's what I can say. The politicians in Mexico, uh, you know, the Central Bank of Mexico, their their understanding of Bitcoin is not entirely limited. Like they 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 definitely know it's not just gonna go away one day they know it's here as far as the bitter countries versus the little
0: countries (sighs) yeah i I I think are you getting it that you thought that mexico actually would that you thought that mexico would um potentially adopt Bitcoin?
1: i believe there are people in the mexican government and central bank who are going who know that they are going to have to embrace it at some point i firmly believe that
0: Wow, that's yeah. that's big. That's big. Yeah. Um Yeah.
1: So, I mean that being said, uh it, it I don't know. As, as far as the small countries, El Salvador, uh I know he he was talking to the president of Turkey, um the ultimate thing is I think that the sovereign individual thesis will largely play out because of Bitcoin because people actually have this ability to vote with their feet and you know now governments have an incentive to provide a higher quality of life in order to attract people who have bitcoin uh which is what el salvador you know is doing and that's another thing you'll see there when you go there you'll see that they they treat you very well you know like they they there's a very noticeable uh I don't know. There's they treat you very well, you'll see. And it's it's uh they they want to attract people into their country. I know the homicide rate has uh drastically decreased in the last 5-10 years, so that's another good thing. Um but yeah, man, I mean this whole thing of Bitcoin just uh being a threat to the system and all that. Like I I really do think Bitcoin will significantly change much of how society functions. And I think the the current model of nation states as they are will be changed a lot. But I also don't think that uh, that the powers that be don't also benefit from it. Like, I, I think it's a very, to be honest, I think it's a very naive thing of people in the Bitcoin space to just think that they're going to be like, okay, yeah, um, just replace our, you know, just, you, it's okay, we'll, we'll get rid of the US dollar and like, they have to have some way of benefiting from Bitcoin. And why would it be shown on MSNBC all the time? Why would we, you know, why would there be such a big mainstream, like, highlight on this thing if they don't have some sort of interest in it as well? And Do you think
0: there is, though? Because I think that considering absolutely. how big yeah. Bitcoin is, I'm surprised that it's not talked about every day. Like, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm in my echo chamber, chamber here, but... I just think, like, where is the obviously aside from you know the odd quirky financial uh segment on a on a news show, but it's but aside from that, it's it's barely mentioned unless there's some massive FUD like you know a ban or or whatever or you know some kind of hack, like it's barely mentioned. So, I, I'm not convinced that there is a lot of uh, media talk about it. It's I wouldn't say that it's all negative, but it's just kind of ignored to a large degree.
1: The way I look at it is uh, in order for Bitcoin to succeed, it has to benefit everybody. And it literally benefits everybody, including the people that we want to disempower. And there's no other way that Bitcoin will succeed if it if that's not the case. And uh, if you think about it, uh, and I to acknowledge what you were saying as far as media attention, yeah, a lot of the media attention is very bad toward Bitcoin. You can also say that, you know, uh, what's that saying about, bad press is, is still press or something
0: like that you know that saying all bad news all bad all bad news is good publicity or something like that
1: yeah something like that um i mean listen yeah that's that's true but at the same time like the fidelity started getting involved in bitcoin a long time ago like i think in 2016 right uh you know we have just an insane amount of adoption mass mutual a huge you know 100, 170 year old insurance corporation from the united states bought 100 million dollars worth of bitcoin a year and a half ago <laughs> like i i i just here's the, the the thing is bitcoin is alchemy if you think about it Bit, bitcoin is almost like alchemy because you took something like that was you know so you, that wasn't really money and you you just made money and now it's grown to this huge point where so many people value it, and if you are you know some sort of elite, uh, parasite, globalist, whatever we we want to call these people, it's in your own interest to buy Bitcoin. And it's in your own interest to buy Bitcoin because you also have a a medium in which you can store your value. You know, like how can you store your value? Uh, you can't store it in fiat currency, right? They can they can print, uh, you know, an infinite amount of uh, fiat currency and, you know, create something that can have value in the short term and use it in order to have a long-lasting value so they can buy property with it. They can use it to in- invest in businesses which will have higher cash flow. They can, um, you know... Th- Anyways, you have all these different uh, asset classes, but Bitcoin is advantageous to them because they can just, you know, print all this money and then put it in Bitcoin, which will hold that value, you know, 100%, like Michael Saylor says, with a battery, it's like a battery that has no leakage. Um, So I think it solves a big problem for them as well, you know. Every literally everybody has this problem with fiat currency: is where do I store my value? <laughs> so, and in order for Bitcoin to to succeed, uh, like if if they if they want it to succeed too, they need us to use it as well. So we need them to use it; they need us to use it. We both benefit from it. That's the way I see it.
0: The thing is that there's one area where I disagree with you here, which is that the, the way that when I look at this equation of like benefit and Um, downside, basically, for like, obviously, the individual has huge, aside from kind of volatility and things like that, it's basically pure benefit. When it comes to people who are, you know, like the Fed and and people like this, like people who have access to the money printer, essentially, when I do that same trade-off, I'm like, okay, well, what's better? Having, you know, being able to store, um, essentially buying an asset, which is a hedge against the inflation that they're causing through their own activities. Um, You know, obviously, they've done this with stocks and things like that. But when this thing is actually going to completely demonetize um, their, or essentially kind of collapse their reason for existence, right? So this isn't like a stock or like um, you know the house market or something, which they're quite happy to inflate it because all of these people who are printing money, they're buying the houses, they're buying the stocks, etc., and then they they're, they're causing the inflation to make them go up in value. That's the fiat paradigm, right? But when this new thing um, is actually going to be the thing which um causes the destruction of their ability to have a a grip on on the monetary system i don't think they're going to go down without a fight because i think they'll say right yes we can have benefit from this because yes we want to make massive gains etc but this actually causes an existential risk to our ability to basically be gatekeepers of the entire financial system so i definitely don't see them going down without a fight i think at some point um like bans and things are going to come like I'm not sure how soon that will be, and obviously, I don't think that they would will succeed. Otherwise, you know, we might as well give up now, right? But I do think that this is going to get messy because I I I think that that incentive structure that I see there um, is going to lead to them going to war with Bitcoin to some degree.
1: Okay, here's a question that might be interesting: Is do you picture a world where they co-exist? No, really.
0: Yeah, I, I don't okay. understand how central banks can possibly have power in a world of, uh, in a Bitcoin world where Bitcoin essentially serves exact, exactly that purpose, but without all of the counterparty risk and the, the ability for people to inflate the supply. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, don't, I don't go down the Michael Saylor route. I know that Michael Saylor talks about this and he says they will... They will coexist, et cetera. My, my belief is that even Michael Saylor doesn't believe that and he's playing kind of 5D chess to kind of give himself a pass. I don't see them exa- existing in the same world. I think that this showdown is inevitable just the way I look at it. But to, if you don't agree, then yeah, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that.
1: I think it's, well, <laughs> that's funny you said that. I've had the same thought. I think it's entirely possible that, I mean, the man is is like running a huge corporation. Uh, you know, I mean, he he kind of, might have to say that. <laughs> um meanwhile, he's basically doing a speculative attack on the US dollar, like at the same time. So <laughs> I hear you. Um I don't know. I mean I, I guess I I just think the way I see it is the way I view the world is it's not politicians who run the show. It's really uh the bankers and uh you know like Rothschilds, the Vanderbilts, uh the Rockefellers, all that. Rockefellers have a lot of oil. I mean, Bainting isn't just their one thing. I mean, they have many other things, <laughs> right? Bainting just allows them to, to like expand their reach on all these things that they have. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. I think it's only in their own interest to have a lot of this stuff. I think, I think they already own a lot of Bitcoin. I, I really do believe that they own a lot of Bitcoin. And I think compared to people like you and I, I mean, their stack is just. Th- think of how large, you know. I mean, one bitcoin is is not attainable for the average person today. I mean, they have. I I think they have, a lot. <laughs> um, again, that's just my speculation. I I don't see. I I I think that. I think that we would have seen more pushback, a lot more pushback, if they truly did not benefit in some way from it succeeding but that's just me i mean
0: yeah yeah i guess we'll we'll end up seeing seeing who's who's right down the line we could we could get, go on this point for a while but uh, i'm conscious of time so i mean I,
1: maybe one thing to relate it to real quick would be like the internet you could say right like the internet uh, i i think is very beneficial for you know quote the powers that be right they can surveil you, they can get all your data, um, they can control information in many ways, all that, but also like the internet can be used for for uh, really good things as well, like this conversation or, you know, educating yourself on truth or, um, so yeah, Hal Finney has this quote, uh, Hal Finney says, uh, you know, the computer can be used as a tool for good instead of evil, and um, I really like that, I really agree with that.
0: So, then do you, this is probably something that I would agree with them because I think that they will, I don't think they will try to go to war with it in, straight away. I think they will try to use the kind of on ramps and the off ramps to be their mechanisms for control. So, they'll basically try to regulate all the exchanges and things. They'll try to use the fiat system and uh, its integration with Bitcoin. They'll try and use those um, points which could be co opted. Um, but when they ultimately realize that it's not going to work because you know Bitcoin <laughs> trends towards decentral like more decentralization, and as you've got more people in the ecosystem, they don't they're not going to want to come back out of it. I think at, at that point they'll probably say, right now we'll just go fully to war with it. So that's where I think things are things are gonna gonna go. But obviously, you know, um, I hope that it's less of a struggle, and I hope that we get to the finish line much more easy. But I don't know. I guess like. The I look at history and I go, hmm, these huge shifts of power, um, normally they don't go down without a fight,
1: yeah. You know, I I can say because I mean, I I see that world every day at Bitcoin Reserve. Um, I mean, I I see you know, any Bitcoin company that's touching the fiat world is going to have to deal with you know, scrutinous regulation, (laughs) and that's. Um, I think it was interesting what we saw, when did this happen, two, three months ago with the AOPP, uh, and the hardware wallets, you know, I basically, uh, regulatory authorities trying to make it more difficult, uh, for people to hold their own Bitcoin. I picture that happening more and more, you know, um, and that's one of the things, right? Like, okay, yeah, if 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 they're gonna let it succeed, you and I both agree on this. Their fight, quote, is maybe having us use paper Bitcoin <laughs> instead of real Bitcoin. Like, they take the custody of the Bitcoin and they issue, you know, notes of credit on the Bitcoin. So it's it's literally a Bitcoin standard, exactly like a gold standard. Uh, maybe that would be one way they they well, try. And, I mean, it, I, I do.
0: I don't think it ever could be that way, though, because, you know, the reason that the kind of that gold resulted in a fiat standard in the first place was because nobody wants to, you know, be having to take custody of bars of gold. And it's it's really annoying yep. to exchange. It's annoying to divide up. It's, you know, all of these things are a frustration. So it's a lot easier to let a third party keep the gold and then just, you know, issue fiat, you know, essentially issue paper money on top of that, which in the end, they just get rid of the gold and say, okay, just use the paper, trust us kind of thing. The reason I don't expect that will ever happen with Bitcoin is because it's basically free and instant to transact and it's uh, pretty much infinitely divisible, et cetera. So all of these things will mean that it doesn't suffer those same flaws. So it would be irrational in that world to essentially have paper Bitcoin, like because actually taking custody there's no Roblox to that like there is for gold. I agree with
1: that a lot. Um, And if you look at, uh, so it was Mr. Hoddle, we were were having a Twitter spaces at Bitcoin Reserve uh, a couple months ago, and Mr. Hoddle mentioned that about 15 million coins, uh, I believe it's around 15 million coins are held in self custody, which is a a very large amount actually. so yeah, I mean, I agree because gold is, you know, it's not like you can just carry gold around with you uh, every day and and pay for things directly with gold. It's a lot easier with, you know, a piece of paper. So I agree. Um, darn it. I was going to say something else regarding the uh, the Bitcoin. Oh yeah, I will say, I think it's an important thing for us as Bitcoiners to not be too optimistic about that, though. And the reason why is because and I, I see this a lot with the boomer generation. Um, they want to buy Bitcoin, but they don't want to hold their own keys oftentimes. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. Uh, we talked about what we were saying earlier with apathy and convenience and all that. Like, I, pitch, I can picture a world where a lot of people want to buy Bitcoin, but it's on Robinhood or their bank's holding it or, you know, they go through... Their investment company, which has their own teas. Um, so that's something to be cognizant of for sure.
0: At least in that world, though, if and when the situation happens where you essentially create a new um, economy where there's way more paper Bitcoin than there is real Bitcoin, the people who are actually taking custody will never be exposed to that risk because if you've got custody, and there's defaults. Well, you're not getting, you're not, your money's not being used in the bailout, right? Whereas, within the current system, as we've seen in like 2008, when the banks crash, yeah, they you know they made all the profits, they took all the money, and you know had had all of these uh, these amazing bonuses and things like that. But then everyone else just had to bail out the banks because the banks essentially had everyone by the balls. Whereas in a Bitcoin world, if you don't want to take custody, okay, fine, that's your prerogative. It's unfortunate for the, obviously, for the economic system as a whole, but um, you're going to be the one who is subject to that risk entirely, which is exactly the way it should be in a free market.
1: That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin rewards good behavior behavior in many ways. It rewards people who take ownership, you know, who, like, value sovereignty, right? Who want to hold their own keys. It rewards people. It rewards peace. Um it rewards freedom, right? Like jurisdictions that allow their areas to be free will be financially rewarded, just like El Salvador is being like it's it's a very rewarding system in some ways.
0: Yeah. Dude, I want to end on that point because that was awesome. So do you want to just let people know where they can find you and then let's round it off there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Andrew underscore J underscore Howard and uh, yeah, worked at Bitcoin Reserve, uh, the chief business development officer there. So just helping um, people buy and sell Bitcoin in a way that they do not get distracted by shitcoins. coins. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's basically me. Um, Twitter's my most preferred method of uh, contact. So, yeah.
0: Awesome, can Catch you in a couple of weeks and PV as well.
1: Awesome, bro. Great talking with you.
0: Take it easy.